Amanda Ferguson bears her soul in this conversation about her story of a messy, messy childhood. She discusses how she learned at a very young age to numb her emotions and to not discuss the things that made her uncomfortable. She longed for a healthy relationship with a healthy father as she watched her dad cook drugs in her kitchen and gamble away their money. She was sexually molested in the most unfathomable of locations, which she discusses, and yet God is still good. Amanda talks about her pregnancy with her fourth baby. She's currently pregnant, the healthy dynamic of her family, and how she has taught her little ones to express their emotions openly. She discusses her relationship with her father now and how it has been one of redemption because of God's grace alone. Your heart will break as you hear her story, but you'll be filled with hope and encouragement as you see how God has helped her to heal in spite of her circumstances. I'm so thankful for Amanda's bravery in sharing her story openly and vulnerably, and I know that you all will be blessed by her candidness and ability to point back to Jesus in spite of the life that she lived as a child. So I just want to say really quickly, um, we had about one minute at the beginning of the episode where Amanda's mic wasn't working super well. And so just get past that one minute and then the sound should be good. So thank you all so much for listening in and tuning in. If you haven't had a chance, please take a second to scroll down and rate and review the Living Easy podcast. It may not mean much to you, but for us, it is huge and a massive blessing to continue getting wonderful guests like Amanda on our show. Thank you so much. Let's dive in. We were never promised that life would be easy. Sometimes it is hard and super crazy, but when we do life together, we find that it becomes a lot easier and much more fun. I believe in joyful life, in happy parenting, healthy marriages, long-lasting friendships, and making perfect memories in imperfect homes. I love to dig deep and talk about the really raw things that people are not always comfortable discussing. And I'm also passionate about sharing practical tips that have helped me to help you navigate through life less stressfully and more purposefully. We will laugh together and struggle together. You will hear honest insights on strengthening your faith and your marriage, parenthood, how to's, and so much more so that you can live life and live it with joy. I am Lindsay Maestas. Welcome to the Living Easy Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Living Easy Podcast. Today I am here with my guest Amanda Ferguson. Hi Amanda. Hi Lindsay. Um, she is a Christian, a wife, a mama, a podcaster, all of the things. And first of all, Amanda, you are so beautiful. <laughs> I was scrolling through your Instagram and I was every single picture, you're just like a stunner. Oh, and are you are you pregnant? I am pregnant. I'm eight months pregnant right now. Oh my gosh. Congratulations. Ooh. Do you know what you're having? Yes, a boy. So we have three girls and our finale is a baby. Oh, I love that. I have two boys. And I always say if I got pregnant again, I would have another boy. Probably just my body would. But that is so exciting to have a little, little boy coming. Yes. Are you are you feeling okay? I am. You know, yesterday I was teasing on Instagram that he only wanted like grapes, cake. You know, like <laughs> yeah. But I say six days a week, I'm fine. And then one day of the week, I'm like, oh my gosh, everything is making me nauseous. But for oh. the most part, it's been such a beautiful, beautiful pregnancy. I'm loving oh. it. Oh, 
I love that. That is so awesome. I've watched your story and my heart just broke, but also to see the growth that you've had from your childhood to now to this beautiful family that you've built and you're building, this business that you've built and are continuing to grow. And I would just, I would love to bring the hope that you have to our listeners. I'd love for them to hear a little bit of your past and your story. Um, If you don't mind sharing, I know that it is really deep and vulnerable. So whatever you feel open to sharing with them from when you were little and what brought you to the place that you are today. Oh, I love it. And I love that your podcast is filled with so much vulnerability because I think that's what people need. Like They need to know that they are not alone. They need to know that there are other people just like them. Amen. And so I would love to talk about my story, especially because I was one of those women who felt like nobody in the world has gone through what I've gone through. Nobody has experienced this. And for the longest, I didn't talk about it. So to kind of rewind back to my childhood, I always tell people my childhood, I didn't have a very good childhood. So I was raised uh, pretty much by a single mom. She was married to my father, but he was addicted to crack cocaine when I was you know, very young. And I remember going in the kitchen at times and my mom would say, don't go in there. But I would smell this awful smell. And I knew something was going on. And, you know, me being the curious kid, <laughs> you can't tell kids yeah. don't go in. I was <laughs> in the corner and I would, I would see my father cooking crack cocaine on our stove. And that was the beginning of many years of living in fear because when you're in that type of life, then you attract a lot of people. You know, you attract a lot of friends who are in that life as well. And so I saw a lot of just uh, of his friends coming to our house and he would gamble all of the money away. Um, And so I lived in a lot of fear and a lot of not being stable. In addition to that. How much at that time did you understand? You know what? Kids understand a lot of things that they cannot articulate. Like I knew what it was, even though I didn't know the name for it. I knew that he was doing drugs. Okay. I knew that when I saw his friends come over with their cards that they were going to gamble the night away. I knew when I saw, you know, beer cans and alcohol everywhere and I would see him passed out somewhere. I knew a lot, even though I didn't say much. Yeah. Uh, I knew a lot. And one of the biggest reasons I didn't say a lot was because my mom was so depressed. So I always say I grew up with an an addicted father and a very depressed mother. I'm so sorry. Literally growing growing up, she would say things like, I've never been happy ever in my life. Mm -hmm. So some kind of way as a little child, I felt the need to not express my emotions because I didn't want to hurt mom any more than she already was. Yeah. So, you know, being like eight, nine, 10, I found out very quickly how to numb my feelings. I didn't really cry. I didn't really laugh. I didn't really do anything. I just became kind of numb. But uh, around, I, I think around the age of nine, my mother asked my father to leave. And so there was this daddy wound that came about that I wanted a father. 
Like I wanted a father. Every little girl, you know, girls love just their they, they love mm-hmm. their moms and their dads. But there's something about a little girl who just longs for a father. Yes. And so for so long, I would long for a father. And my mom, we ended up uh, joining a new church when I was a preteen, like around 11. And there was this youth pastor there who befriended me and he would take all of us to the movies and get popcorn. And I had never had that. So I was like, whoa, this is so cool. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like popcorn, movies. I had never, I had never known anything about that. And also because our finances were so unstable, most of my life, uh, I was always wondering where we're going to have food. There were many nights we didn't have food. We would just eat cornbread uh, for dinner. We didn't have food. So I saw him as like this rich man. Now, (laughs) keep in mind, (laughs) he probably only bought us like burgers and fries. But to me, when you're raised poor, that seems amazing. Yeah. So when you, when your dad Mm -hmm. left, was that a relief for you or was that, was it, I mean, obviously, of course it's still hard, but did it feel like the trajectory of your home, the, the mood of your home changed a little bit? It was a very big relief, but not all the way hmm. because it was only one dynamic that was removed. Uh, so he was gone. The drugs were gone. The friends were gone. But my mom's depression wasn't gone. Yeah, The lack wasn't gone. You know, so I, we very much still had a lot of issues. And of course, we didn't talk about it. It was more like go to church, go home. All is well. Yeah. Just pretend it didn't happen. Yeah, just pretend, just, you know, just move on. Don't, you know, back in those days, I don't even think therapy was talked about. (laughs) Which is why I talk about it so much now because therapy is important. But back then it was like, just pray, wake up, wash your face, you're fine. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's so interesting now. And I'm so thankful for that because I see a counselor and I'm always telling my listeners and followers, how important it is to preventatively, even if you're not going down a path of destruction, how helpful it is just to have these conversations because we all have trauma. We all have a history of emotional, physical, whatever it might be, kind of abuse or struggles. There's always something to talk about and heal through. So I love that you're open about that. Exactly. I love it. A quick interruption because I am so giddy and excited to tell you guys about this. I've been trying to think of better ways to connect with all of you on an individual personal level and I'm so excited to announce that I've created three new tiers on my Patreon account. The friendship thing, the coffee date thing, and the bestie thing. So for each tier on my Patreon account, which is patreon.com backslash living easy, I have given opportunities for all of us to connect in different ways. I'm going to be sending out my all-time favorite books list along with my favorite cold oats recipes. I'm giving access to the Living Easy with Lindsay Facebook page and the weekly application questions for each podcast episode. For the coffee date thing, I am doing a once a month Zoom chat, which I'm so excited about. And so we will have coffee together. I'll ask and answer questions. You guys can ask and answer questions and we will build a real life face-to-face friendship and can talk once a month about anything. For the bestie thing, I see you guys and I want others to see you too. And so I'm going to be doing a listener spotlight with one pledger of the bestie thing each month. 
The person chosen can record a two-ish minute recording of yourself, sharing your story, your business, or how you live easy, and I will play it on the air. Or if you prefer, I will promote your social media account to my 40,000 plus followers. So check out patreon.com backslash living easy to join the friendship thing, the coffee date thing, and the bestie thing. Okay, so you can keep going. So you would go to the movies, you'd get fast food, and it was like the best thing in the world, and then what happened? Yeah, but and so basically he won my trust. You know, he won my trust, and I remember I was in a band, and so I remember having a parade, and it was like 20 degrees outside. Nobody wants to go to a parade when it's 20 degrees outside. (laughs) And I was playing my clarinet and just marching, and all of a sudden I looked up, and he was there, and he was smiling and waving. I'm like, oh, my gosh, like – he can be my daddy. Uh, but then I quickly realized that this man that I wanted to be my daddy started putting his hand up my dress oh. and started molesting me. And I always say it wasn't that he was just a minister of the church, a youth pastor. It was that every act that he committed was actually inside the physical church, inside the actual you. building. You know, the molestation occurred inside the church, inside the church, like inside oh the gosh. physical church building. The church had a nursery. So sometimes he would go in there. And the crazy thing is, um, I, I would say that he had two different people that he would switch to. And sometimes he would just be this nice person. But every once in a while, when I went to church and I saw this look in his eyes, I already knew what was going to happen. And the sad part was I never told a soul. I couldn't tell my mom because I felt like she couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to tell anybody at the church because who would believe a little girl? And then the sad part is I started blaming myself. Maybe it was because of the dresses that I wore. Maybe it was because I smiled too much. Maybe it was because I was just too friendly. And that's what happens to a lot of people when they're abused. They start going within themselves thinking that maybe some kind of way it was their fault. And remind me, Amanda, how old were you? I was around the age of 11 and 12. Okay. And so at this time when this would happen, did you engage? And I've, I've heard these stories so much because it's this lack of power that a girl feels in this situation. One, it's someone that you feel safe with most often, Mm -hmm. correct? Like it's usually a family member or someone very close to your family. And then two, you feel this lack of control or like you said, nobody will believe you or that you just, it's happening to you because you're doing something wrong. And so in the moments when he would engage in that, how did you verbally physically respond to him? Do you remember? I went numb. Mm. I, I did the, the thing that I had learned to do as a child. Yeah. I don't say anything. I don't show any emotion. I just wait for it to pass because in my mind, it always passes. Mm-hmm. So as long as I can stay numb, I can get through this. I, viv- I can still remember even now uh, him chasing me around the church. And I remember there was one bathroom in the church that had a, uh, it was like a standalone stall that had a lock on it. And so I was able to run to the bathroom and lock the door. And he was beating on the door, beating on the door, beating on the door. Next to the bathroom was a water fountain. And I actually heard someone come and get a drink of water. And when I heard them, I knew it was safe for me to leave out of the bathroom. 
And that was the only way that I left out. So how as an adult have you moved through this? How have you coped with, is there post-traumatic stress? What has the healing looked like for you? Well, the healing for me came several years later because it wasn't until I was 22 that I ever mentioned this to a soul. And the first person was a therapist. And back then, right now, I'm really big on Christian therapy. That's what I've been doing for the last several years. But back then, in my college, we had free therapy. So if you're a college student, you can go and get free therapy. Basically, after several months, my therapist told me, basically, I had been through too much trauma to ever live a normal life that I would have to take pills in the morning to make me feel happy. And then I would have to take pills at night to help me go to sleep. And I thought to myself, if I have to take all this, (laughs) you know, what's the point of, what's the point of living? You mean to tell me this is pretty much all that you can do for me? And she was like, either that, or maybe you can spend some time in a mental hospital. And I didn't want to go there. And so I was thinking, you know what? I need help. And so my teenage years were full of a lot of rebellion, still looking for love in all the wrong places. And finally, in December of 2007, I came to the end of my rope and I began to be, for a few months, I was very suicidal. I would take Tylenol PMs uh, more than I could even count. And I would just take them to try to continue to numb the pain because Basically, when I was asleep, I was peaceful. And when I was awake, I was traumatized by all of this trauma. And so December 2007, I told God, I said, listen, there's nothing else that I can do. I don't feel like my life is worth living. And see, the tricky thing about the enemy is he'll always tell you about your past, but he'll never tell you about your future. And so he began to uh, talk to me about all of the terrible things that I had gone through. And so I told God, you know, I'm going to give you one last chance. And I went to church that night with uh, tears in my eyes. And there was a, uh, I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. So there's a bridge that connects uh, Tennessee to Arkansas. And I told God, I said, if you don't touch me tonight, then I am going to drive my car off this bridge because life is not worth living anymore. And it was in that service that a pastor called me up and prayed for me. And I knew that God loved me. And so he completely turned my life around. And I just began this this process of healing because healing is a journey and it's a process. I didn't even know that I, I had lost my personality all those years. I still remember being like four years old or five years old, looking at pictures of myself, kind of smiling before I really knew what was going on. And by the time I hit teenage years, I was just numb to everything. And so when I began to go on this healing journey with Jesus and he began to free me and take me through these healing processes, my personality started arising. I started having hope. I started having joy. I had never experienced that in my life. I had never experienced joy. And so he took me on a beautiful journey. And then, you know, a couple of years later, I met my husband. <laughs> and just mm-hmm. to see now, it's like I'm married. We're about to have our fourth child, just living a really thriving life. But this is just 2020, just 2007, 13 years ago, I was trying to end my life. And I am, I, one, I just want to say 
how incredible it is that you are using your platform to share Christ's name and to share the redemption in your life. My story is nothing similar to yours, but when you said looking for love in all the wrong places, that that's my history of sexual abuse. And then for me personally, just giving myself to anyone who wanted a piece of my body because I didn't, I didn't have any value. I didn't have any worth. I didn't understand whose I was. And for you to come to a place where you say, I was going to end my life and yet God stepped in because he sees me and to see your life now and to see your family that nobody would have any idea of your history for you to boldly come out and bring comfort to those who have struggled with sexual abuse or abuse in the church or depression or drugs in their home or poverty. I mean, there's so many things that now you're having the ability to bring comfort to others, to God's glory, just as God has given you comfort. And so I just want to say from one person who is really passionate about being raw and, and, um, just sharing the reality of life. I just appreciate that so much in you. So thank you for sharing. Yes. Thank you for having me on and for you doing the same as well. I think that, you know, I'm passionate about it as well because for so long I did feel alone. And when you feel alone, you never want anyone to feel like that ever. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about your family now. Mm -hmm. So you grew up with a mom who is depressed and disconnected, Mm -hmm. a dad who's disconnected. How have you raised your family and seeing the circumstances that you had. Because I think a lot of the time, this is something I saw on Will Smith's page forever ago, and it's just resonated so well with me. He basically said, you will never be in control of the circumstances of your life. You'll never be in control of your past, but you do have the ability to shift your attitude toward it and to shift the way that you live your life. And for us in Christ alone, we have the power to do those things. Yes. So how do you mother connect with your children and how have you learned to do that when you never had that growing up? That is such an amazing question. So some people may know this, uh, some people may not, but my mom actually died eight years ago. So she lost her uh, battle to breast cancer eight years ago. And I think that was one of the things that really shifted me. So she actually died. uh, I got married in 2012. She died in 2011. And one thing that I noticed about her, you know, like I said, from the, the day she died, she was never happy. But a lot of her unhappiness stemmed from her mom died when she was at a young age and she never healed from it and she never went to therapy and she never kind of dealt with a lot of her own trauma. So one of the things that I decided to do for myself was to deal with my own trauma. I always say that, you know, your trauma may not have been your fault, but your healing is your responsibility. And so I'm responsible for my healing and my process because oftentimes, even when we go through things, like I'll meet women and they're just like, well, I've been through a lot of trauma, so I'm just mean. And even though I get it, we shouldn't make people be a casualty of our trauma because we refuse to get healed. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to really say, like, especially when we first found out that we were pregnant with a girl, I was actually really 
I was just like, oh, God, I'm having a girl because all <laughs> I knew was like, oh, no, you know, my mom, my relationship with my mom wasn't the greatest. And I'm like, I don't know what to what to teach this girl. And so I actually prayed to have a boy first because I was like, if I have a boy first, I'll have more time to kind of get myself together. And God was like, no, you're going to have a girl. Then a second girl, and then a third girl. <laughs> You're gonna have all the girls, and then you'll have your boy. Uh, but it was really me taking responsibility and realizing that you know you cannot conquer what you won't confront. Yeah, and so I had to really go back to the ugly parts of my life. And there's one thing to say, okay, I'm fine now. I'm redeemed through Christ. I'm saved now. And it's another thing to go through healing and deliverance and really go through restoration. That's a totally different process. And I had to say, okay, God, am I really ready to go back to these places? And so one of the best things that I had to do for myself is I had to be honest with my trauma. And, And most of the time, this will sound really elementary to be honest with your trauma, but most of the time we're just like, hey, I'm good. You know, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. You know, even when I got married after my mom died, I was like, oh, you know, life moves on because uh, a, a few weeks after she died, I went right back to work. So I was right back to work. I never really grieved it. I never really uh, talked about it too much. And so I had gotten really good with just kind of pushing through. But there comes a time in everyone's life where you have to stop just pushing through and being still and saying, OK, God, I, I need help. It's incredible how when, for me at least, for my personal experience, when I went to a counselor for the first time, I see a Christian counselor as well, and I, I, they just ask kind of basic questions about your life, and you find yourself, at least I found myself, focusing solely on one thing that I knew was kind of a trigger point in me, that it's like mm-hmm. a relationship that causes me to get agitated or whatever, but that I really write mm-hmm. off. But as I expressed it to someone who didn't know me, who didn't know my story, I found how much pain and how deeply it had affected every area of my life. It was like I couldn't talk about anything I had ever done or experienced without going back to that relationship. And I think that's what you're talking about. It's like you you suppress it. And you act as mm-hmm. if it's not affecting because we, we <laughs> want to be strong. Like I want joy. But what I have yeah. found is that joy really won't come without dealing with those past circumstances, especially to my family. Because the more I pretend nothing's wrong, the more my family feels the weight of that pain. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. Because my mom even thought that, you know, by her not talking about her mom's death, then she was kind of shielding us in a way from her grief. But she didn't shield us. We could feel it. You know, we we could feel it. She never, to this day, I was just telling my husband uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I still really don't all the way know what my grandmother looked like. She didn't have, she only had one picture of her. And so she never really talked to her. So, I mean, she never really talked about her. And so everything that I pretty much know about my mom's mom, I have to learn through her sisters and brothers. Yeah. And so it made me realize, 
okay, on my healing journey, I want to bring in my family to my journey. And so I started showing my girls, even now, I show them a lots of pictures of my mom. And it's just been amazing to go on this journey and understanding that it is a journey. You know, I think sometimes when we start peeling back the layers, we're like, okay, are the tears ever going to stop? Like, I don't know about you, but when I go to therapy sometimes, especially when I first started four yeah. years ago, and she would bring up something, it's like, oh no, let's not talk about that, okay? It is too much for me. I'm not normally a crier. So when I go into that state, I'm the same way. I'm like, let's just talk about something else, which it's, it's healthy though. It's healthy for me, especially as someone who just kind of, I numb out. You mentioned multiple times, like numbing out. And I can relate to that, that when things get hard, I either run or I numb. And, but to force myself to do those mm-hmm. things, it's not easy or comfortable at all. And I think that's for a lot of people, maybe especially men to express emotion, but even so for, for women to have the opportunity to share, to not feel shamed, to be in a safe place. Um, and I want to ask you, because I bet there are a lot of people wondering that your abuse, sexual abuse by a youth pastor in a church and you still mm-hmm. attend church. How did that not taint you from ever going back to church? And how do you kind of deal with that and taking your girls to church? So I was really able to separate the abuse of one person from the entire institution of the church. You know, I always tell people, I don't know why it happened. And I won't, I think sometimes that's one of the biggest questions in abuse, like, why did this happen to me? And uh, honestly, I could probably have a million other questions of why did this happen to me or a lot of other people. So I I don't even ask why. I I told people I went from asking God, why me, to use me. Right? So I don't really know why it happened, but I was really able to understand that, okay, this was one person who decided to do this, but this is not the totality of God. God is still good, period. And I think, I believe it's Bill Johnson that has a book that says God is, is good or God is still good or something like that. And when you understand that no matter what happens to you, that God is good, he's still good, then Everything else, it it doesn't make it go away, but it makes it easier to kind of deal with the journey. And as far as my girls, I always tell people I don't live in fear because whatever you live in, that's what you attract to yourself. So I don't live in fear, but I do live in awareness. So I'm very aware of what my girls are doing. Um, They're always in my sight. I think with my mom, she got really relaxed. Like she would kind of like leave me at the church for hours by myself uh, because she, you know, felt like it was a safe place. So that was almost like a place that she would just kind of drop me off and then pick me up several hours later. So my mom was actually never there when it happened. And so that made me realize that as parents, you know, we do have to be aware of what our children are doing. So our girls, you know, they don't go to sleepovers, you know, any of that. So I'm very aware. My husband and I are always very aware of what they're doing, but we refuse to live in fear because fear will keep you in bondage. It will keep you from allowing yourself the freedom and the joy to enjoy life. Wow. That's so good. 
And because I just want to say one more thing, because a lot of people ask me about the story of my father, which is probably one of my best, one of my favorite stories. So for a long time, I never talked to my father. I never, even after I got saved, I was just kind of like, you know, you're cool. (laughs) You stay over there. I forgive you. But you know, just stay over there. I'm fine. But over over the years, I really have been praying for God to soften my heart towards him. It's like, you know, I don't really know him. He didn't really raise me, but I really want to honor him, you know, as my father. And so God really put on my heart maybe about a year and a half ago to start blessing him. And so uh, we actually retired him. And so every week, I actually pay my biological father every single week. And the beautiful part about this is that usually at least twice a month, he calls me crying and he'll say, I know there is a God because I've done absolutely nothing for you, for you to do this. I know there is a God. Yeah. Amanda, that is so admirable, especially in a world where pride and bitterness and justice reign. And when we live in a, in a mm. place of, I need to, it's almost like I need to retaliate because you hurt me, so I hurt you. But that is the opposite of what scripture teaches. Exactly. Turn the other cheek to bless those who curse you, to love your neighbors unconditionally and as you love yourself. I mean, so many callings to go above and beyond and someone who harmed you and hurt you and and really, I mean, tainted your entire childhood for you to turn around, listen to the Holy Spirit and to say, I'm going to give out of the abundance of my life exactly. in order to bless him. That is just a mm-hmm. witness and a testament of who Jesus is in your life. So that is, that's incredible. He's the ultimate restorer, but we have to, I think one of the, one of the biggest prayers that I always prayed is God, give me a heart of flesh. I don't want a stony heart. I don't want a hard heart because you're right. Sometimes even if we feel like we've forgiven, we're just like, okay, I forgave you, but just stay over there somewhere. I don't want to have anything to do with you. But when you really pray and you're like, God, I want a heart of flesh. I want it to be soft. I want it to love like you. When you really say, Jesus, I want to love like you, (laughs) you have to be prepared for what he's going to say next. (laughs) And I can guarantee a lot of times it's going to look a lot different than what we think. We say say that I want to, I want to be like you. I want to love like you. He's like, oh, yeah, (laughs) I, I have. Okay. Two quick questions. We, you mentioned that you didn't talk about emotions when you were growing up. How have you taught your children to express their emotions, to express their fears? Do you have any practical tips for moms who are listening today? So I think one of the biggest tips is to be aware of yourself as a parent. So I talk about this uh, maybe about a couple of years ago. So we had three kids in three years. Oh my gosh, yes. (laughs) Three and three. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, it was. I, I would if I knew what if if I would have known what I know now. Like never ever. It was rough. And so I remember having, uh, you know, the 
the three-year-old, the two-year-old, and the baby. And everybody was crying at the same time. It just so happened that my husband was leaving the house. And I'm like, oh my God, please, just somebody stop crying for a second so I can do, so I can get the bottle, get the pampers or something. And I remember my oldest one, I looked at her and just out of a moment of frustration, I said, hey, you know, don't cry. It's okay. Uh, big, big girls don't cry, right? And so I didn't think anything of it because I'm thinking, hey, she's, you know, she's she's older. She's fine. Uh, I, she was crying because they were crying. So I was fine. But then the next week I looked at her and it looked like she wanted to cry about something. I think one of her toys had broken or something. I can't remember. And I looked at her and I said, are you okay? I was like, if you're sad, you can cry. And she was like, well, you told me big girls don't cry. And I scooped her up. I hugged her and I, I let her cry. And I told her, mommy was so sorry. I said, I was so sorry. I'm so sorry for telling you that. I said, I was just so busy that I was just trying to help you and your sisters. I was like, I'm so sorry for telling you that. And I think we have to be quick to own up to our mistakes because we're not perfect. And I would have never known that something that I quickly said because I was just trying to get the bottle. And, you know, my my youngest one was nursing. She, you know, w- when you're nursing a baby, it's like they become so demanding. And I'm just like, hold on, just wait a minute, you know. But we have to be quick to own up to our mistakes and understand that we're not going to be perfect parents. We're not going to be perfect mothers. But when we realize that we make a mistake, we need to own up to it. And from that day forward, I made it a really comfortable atmosphere where our girls can come and talk to us about anything or even if they just need a good cry or even if they don't understand, you know, all of their emotions. We just really try to make an atmosphere where they never had to feel like they had to uh, suppress their feelings, whether they're sad or whether they're happy. And I often ask them, you know, how do you feel right now? Uh, what's what's kind of going on in your mind? Because sometimes we look at kids as like, oh, they're just kids. No, they're they're like little people. You know, they're they're real people with real emotions and real feelings. And so I don't want to just treat them like, oh, they're five. What do they know about life? (laughs) Yeah, the truth isn't something that I've been realizing. I have a two and a half year old and an almost five year old. And it's such a pivotal time in their lives that I think it's easy, like you're saying, Amanda, for people to discount everything that they're feeling and going through. But Mm -hmm. they deal with anxiety. They deal with fear of man. They deal with insecurity. We just shaved my son's head and his response to it was so surprising to me because he just, he felt so incredibly insecure and he would look in the mirror multiple times a day and just look sad and defeated. And so I I do, I think I agree with you 100%. It's so important to be in tune with how they're feeling and to address those things head on. Yeah. And as a boy mom, it's definitely ingrained in our society of boys don't cry or toughen up or you can do it, you know, and that cheerleader. Yeah. Also the balance of I want to cheer my boys on and I always will, but I also want to sit and hear their heart and why certain things are affecting them and really try to navigate through their emotions. And we use books a lot 
to do that. Like we've found a lot of like emotional mm-hmm. intelligence yeah. that we work through to help them communicate their feelings. And it's actually been very, very helpful for me. I feel like the children's books teach me more than they teach my kids sometimes on how to <laughs> properly communicate emotions with them. But And so, yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And I think it's incredible that you've come from a place that you were in to be able to do that comfortably and to foster foster an emotionally intelligent family where they now can pour that down. Mm -hmm, Exactly. And I think being aware of myself, being aware of them and never making them feel bad for, you know, the smallest thing. Like my, my second daughter, she's all into fashion. Like you were saying about your son. So sometimes she'll put on an outfit and she doesn't think it looks right. You know, I could easily say, oh my gosh, just like you're fine. But that's a really big deal for her. And so I never look at my girls like, oh, let me, you know, you're so Get young. You don't it. know anything yeah. about life. No, they, they, don't, they don't know anything about, you know, what's going on on the outside, but they still have really, really big feelings. And I never want to make to minimize any feelings that yeah. they have. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Amanda. I really appreciate it. And I wanted to quickly touch on this because it just um, occurred with the time that we're recording this. George Floyd was murdered by a white police officer. And I want to ask, as you raise your children Mm -hmm. in this world of racial injustice and racism, how do you communicate these things and how can our listeners communicate these things to their children for awareness? I will tell you that that video brought me to tears. It was very hard for me to watch it because I've personally never seen someone take their last breath. And so when I was watching it, I didn't expect to see that. So it really brought me to tears. But it's similar to what I've been teaching my girls now, because right now they're being raised in a very, very safe atmosphere. But we spend time letting them know that everybody is not safe. Everybody is not nice. That there are some very mean people. That there are some very rude people. That they that you know just bringing that awareness to them now early. We've uh, we've talked to them a lot about even staying close to us. There are a lot of stores. We live in Texas where I'm sure there are a lot of states that have this where a lot of kids have been kidnapped. And so I've, we've been really talking to them about the importance of just staying close because there are mean people. There are people that are that are not like us. There are people who do not love Jesus. And so just letting them be aware in in the smallest doses that they can understand that life outside of here is not always like what they're used to. And also spending time praying a lot, praying individually, like my husband and I, and as well as praying with our girls, but really being in tune with the Holy Spirit as far as, okay, God, what do you want me to teach the girls? What do you want me to show them? What do you want me to let them know? So I really rely very heavily on my time with the Holy Spirit to navigate me as a mom, because I realize that I don't want to lean to my own understanding as well as to ask wisdom. You know, it says if you ask wisdom, he'll liberally give it to us. And so I have to really spend a lot of time in prayer, making sure I'm very aware of what's going on on the outside. But just making sure that I am giving them what they need in the season that they need it, which reminds me of my favorite story about Hannah in the Bible when she 
uh, dedicated her son to the Lord. And it, it often talks about when after she weaned him, she dedicated him to the Lord. But I think one part that we forget about Hannah is that she was only allowed to see him once a year when she made him a coat, which is super important because if she wasn't able to see him all throughout the year, how would she know his size and his stature and all of that? Which means that God had to give her insight into what he needed from year to year. And so that's the way we parent our kids, that we have to look to for heavenly wisdom and insight and relying on the Holy Spirit to show us what do our kids need from year to year. Because the years change. We have changed our kids from schools. We have changed them into totally different environments. When we get that tug in the spirit and we know, okay, this is what's needed for our child in this season, then we just move and we just do it. Well, I could talk to you forever. Yes. I'm <laughs> outside of the podcast because I always we just need to have coffee. Yes. A Zoom coffee day. Oh, I love but, coffee. Me too. Well, I just I'm so thankful for you, man. I'm so thankful to have connected with you. I just feel I feel emotional. Aww. I do. Okay. I just your story is amazing. And the point that you've come to and what you've overcome and to see you thriving in your business and thriving with your family and eight months pregnant is just, it's such a beautiful testament of God's grace and his redemption. And so thank you so much for sharing that with my listeners. I know they're going to be really blessed by you and your heart. And I look forward to having coffee with you soon. Thank yeah. you so much, Lindsay. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, the best thank you you could ever offer is to share the love. The simple act of taking a quick screenshot of the episode and tagging at Living Easy Podcast makes such a huge difference in this journey. If you're impacted, someone else might be too, so don't hesitate to share a little hope and joy with the people that you love. Also, if you haven't already, please do scroll down from this episode to give a star rating and quick review for the podcast. It only takes a minute, but the impact is huge. Thank you all so much for your support. Feel free to connect with me on Instagram at livingeasypodcast and at lindsay.myestis. Love you guys.